Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. I'm Jack Luke and today I'm joined by Jake Pantone, the Vice President of Product and Brand at Envy Bikes. In today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the new Envy Melee Road Bike, which is the brand's second road bike following on from the launch of the Custom Road last year. Now, Jake, I'm not going to go into too much detail about the bike. Let's get stuck right in. Tell us about the new bike. Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, yeah, like like you said, we're super excited about this new bike that we're bringing to market, the Melee. Um, last year, we launched the Custom Road, and as we promised, it was the opening of a new chapter for Envy as we transitioned to becoming more than just a will and component brand. Uh, we are bringing frames to market. And so we launched the custom road bike last year and it has been uh, well, well received. At, at the moment, it's only being uh, delivered and shipped in the US. Uh, we do have ambitions to get that uh, to other markets around the world as soon as we, we, can, we can do it. But um, the, the custom nature of the bike it, it, the, makes it limited, um, inherently limited to, yeah. in terms yeah. of its availability uh, globally. And, and when we, before we even launched this bike, we knew that uh, we knew that there would be more demand than the you know several hundred units a year of custom road that we could deliver, and so really um, just a couple hundred. Wow, that is yeah. an involved process. It's an involved process. It's it's a hundred percent you know a bespoke custom bike. From the second the customer decides they want the bike, we're we're at that point asking about geometry, um, both in terms of like how they want the bike to handle, but more importantly how they how they want and need the bike to fit. And you know it's so it's custom geometry, custom fit. 
Um, you know, we're literally cutting a tube set for every bike geometry. It's not even, it's not a semi-custom. And I know there's been a little bit of confusion, uh, sort of, or maybe a little bit of lack of clarity on what exactly is the custom road, but it is truly a custom bespoke bike from, from the ground up for each customer. And then of course there's the paint and that's also done at Envy. And so the whole process is, is, is you know, relatively new to our, our business and our manufacturing that we do there in Ogden. And we wanted to enter uh, the bicycle aftermarket, the frame aftermarket in as authentic and envy way as possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we love to make stuff. That's why we've invested so heavily in U.S. manufacturing, because it allows us to do things we sort of otherwise couldn't. And especially during the pandemic, when travel was very limited and, you know, we wouldn't have been able to go overseas to do the hands-on development that we uh, like to do. Um, having our own factory and controlling our own destiny that way allowed us to uh, bring the custom road to market. And it also allowed us to build a foundation of and an understanding of what we wanted uh, higher volume stock geometry road bikes to be. And so uh, the custom road is effectively a launch pad for uh, future frame models that will be coming from Envy and specifically this race oriented melee. So if you were to summarize, what are the kind of key differences between this new model and the custom road? Perfect. Yeah. So the melee is a very purpose-built race bike. Um, I guess if we step, take a step back and talk about product priorities. So whenever we design uh, a product or create a product brief, there's obviously the hierarchy of priorities in terms of the performance. And so um, with the custom road, we were, of course, doing some big things as a brand entering the frame market. And again, like I said, we want to do something a little bit unique. And so the overarching priority was to, or if we were to summarize what the custom road is, it's, it's high performance meeting high touch experience. And the priority of that product is customize customization, personalization of that bike. Um, as a result of making the bike custom and putting the emphasis on sort of fit and custom geometry, it means that there are some sacrifices made in terms of uh, frame weight, um, construction technique, and uh, aerodynamic performance. And so, and when, you know, when we talk about sacrifices, we're talking minor. So, but we'll, you know, there's, there's just a difference in terms of what you can achieve with a frame that's a one piece molded kind of monocoque construction versus a tube to tube over wrap. Um, just on that, actually, just yeah. to sort of clarify. So the new bike is a monocoque construction. Correct. There, and the old one, I said the old one, sorry, the previous yeah. uh, model is a more traditional, we'll call it, tube-to-tube construction. Yeah. So, yeah, the custom road's a tube-to-tube construction. So we're cutting, a, you know, eight or nine different mm. cuts of a tube and they're being bonded together and overwrapped with carbon. And the uh, the Melee is a, yeah, a, you know, it, it's a monocoque front triangle and, you know, it's connected to the rear triangle and it's uh the different construction techniques allow sort of different benefits um our u.s made bike the tube to tube allows the customization um you know tube to tube construction offers a really sort of premium ride quality feel like a little more tunable ride quality um and then we look at the melee and it's monocoque construction allows for the bike to be lighter inherently lighter um, due to the construction technique and not having uh, over wraps and additional bonding um and then of course uh 
the other benefit is we were able to refine the tube shapes on the melee a little bit more. And that's twofold. One is with the custom road, it was our first bike. And so we wanted to get that to market and we spent time in the wind tunnel with those existing tube shapes. Um, and that was, you know, the custom road is sort of the first, the first, not the first, but it was, you know, a series of iterations to get to the tube shapes that the custom road, um, achieved. And, you know, wind tunnel time is, has been a little few and far between a little bit as, you know, traveling has been difficult over the last few years, but as we've been able to get those bikes into the wind tunnel and do a little bit more development and R and D in terms of aerodynamics, we've been able to find some sort of low hanging fruit in ways that because we're not doing the tube to tube construction, we can sort of narrow and refine the tube shapes, specifically frontal area of the head tube, um, narrowing the down tube slightly. And really the whole, the whole bike is slightly narrowed, um, You've actually jumped ahead to one of my questions because oh, okay. I was I was going to ask you. <laughs> we was, get into that. Something that really interested me in the presentation you gave was, as you mentioned, the head tube is narrower. I mean, from a very practical point of view, what is it about the monocoque construction that allows you to do that compared to tube to tube? Imagine I'm a carbon layup expert. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it's really like, uh, I mean, again, it's a little bit twofold. Some of it's just the learnings and saying, okay, like, yes, we can do this. And we already have these sort of tools cut and... Um, the second is actually being in the wind tunnel and saying, okay, if we, how much can we narrow how, and just having the time to do that. But if you can think of, you know, effectively, uh, there's more space, mm-hmm. um, that's occupied in a tube to tube. So the way, the way the custom road works, it's kind of like Legos. So you have a male and a female in and it plugs yeah. together and it's bonded. And so you just, the material thickness is there's more space required to sort of get those good bond joints and then to do the overwraps. And as a result, sort of all the, to make that aesthetically blended and flow, um, it's, it sort of just takes up more space. And so it ends up slightly wider. And as we take away those overwraps and you can sort of just do one continuous um, layup construction technique, the, it, it, it just provides you a little bit more space. And when I say it's narrow, we're not talking like, yeah, five yeah. millimeters. It's that's one or two millimeters here or there that the the tubes have been um, reduced. So, yeah, it's it's subtle, but the subtleties ultimately result in like I think you saw in the slides. Um, it's about a six watt mm-hmm. max. You know, the max sort of drag reduction savings is around six watts between the custom road, which and, is not insignificant. Yeah, it's not insignificant at all. No, it's it's definitely meaningful. But so one thing as well that I thought was interesting, and uh, you know, the custom road as you mentioned is made in your base in Utah, whereas this frame is made overseas. Yeah. Um, as some of your components, what what kind of led you to uh, decide to make this particular frame overseas rather than kind of that uh, in-house manufacturing, if you prefer? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah, so I mean, the big thing is uh, just our capacities and capabilities at Envy. Um, we have robust manufacturing and, uh, you know, anybody that's, had, anybody that's had the opportunity to tour our, our newest facility, which we've been in our building for about six years now. Um, it was a purpose built around our wheel manufacturing process. Uh, and so really the wheel and rim manufacturing, hundred percent of that has always been performed in, in Ogden, um, or at NV headquarters in our multiple locations we've had over the years. And it really comes down to like the bandwidth, um, and getting enough hands and space mm-hmm. available to sort of add more to our production lines. And so for years we've um, had you know ownership partnership in a factory in Asia and we've we've it's been a great partnership because it allows us we have full autonomy to go there and you know have things built the way we want them and have the uh, sort of the IP protected that is NVIP mm-hmm. um, and it gives us as much control as you can sort of wish for out of you know a third party manufacturing partner. Uh, we would love to make more stuff in Envy. It just comes down to like the amount of hands and space that we have. And so our strategy over the years has been rims are made in Utah. Um, we fit in components when we can. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we have any sort of way to add more products out of U.S. manufacturing, um, we do it. Uh, so when we decide to make the custom road, um, in order to sort of make space for it, we uh, took a product that was made in Ogden, like our mountain. We made a carbon mountain stem, mm-hmm. and we were doing carbon road hubs. Um, mm-hmm. I remember there. those, the forged carbon yeah. hubs. They were amazing. <laughs> so we were doing yeah, the other carbon hubs, and we we took those products and and rim brakes, kind of going away. Sort of, we saw those hubs, those carbon hub demand sort of slacken quite a bit. But we took those mountain stems and we transitioned those over to Asia to help make room for um, for the custom road parts that need to be made in Ogden. And so when we look at like higher volume Monaco construction frame, like again, we'd love to make that frame in Ogden. It's just, there's not the space or hands to do it. And, and hey, so, you know, there's expertise elsewhere. Yeah. Make, I'm sure it's a very well-made frame. So yeah, it's definitely not a question of expertise. It's really the question of, uh, yeah, capacities and sort of what's right for the product and the, and the price point and all those things. So another interesting thing I picked up in the presentation, and I discussed this a little bit in the story on site, um, you said that as you are a wheel manufacturer, you can sort of understand how the wheels of the varying depths that you offer, um, how they kind of influence the design of the frame. You know, what, what like in the most simple terms, what, what does that influence and what kind of performance gains or drawbacks or compromises are you making when considering the sort of wheel frame system as a whole? Yeah, and I, I honestly can't really speak for, I, I sort of, I can't really speak for, what uh, other frame manufacturers have done over the years. Course, I, yeah. I would imagine, because I only have the sort of the, what I assume would be the case if I was had been a frame manufacturer over the last decade or so, um, what the process would or should have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we have done is Envy that I can speak to is, you know, f- from the second we 
began our smart envy system aero development project you know over a decade ago when we working with simon smart we first sat down and said okay let's let's make aero wheels um and we we set this uh this tone for real world fast, this concept of real world fast, meaning like we want to make wheels that aren't just fast in the wind tunnel. We want to make wheels that perform well in the real world. And some of the important feedback that Simon had and a lot of the motivation he had for partnering with us is at the time he was doing a lot of aero optimization sessions with triathletes and, and world tour teams. Um, and he was doing a little bit, he was doing some frame projects as well. And what he was seeing is that athletes would come into the wind tunnel and they would bring their tri bike, for example, and then they would bring uh, a wheel set, and you know they would do their wind tunnel testing, and then he, you know a couple months later they'd come back and they they would have a conversation. They'd be like, "Oh," and he'd be like, "Why? why what wheel set did you run, or how'd this triathlon go, or whatever?" And the customer would be like, "Oh, it was." It was great, but I, I couldn't ride that wheel set. It was too windy, and mm-hmm. or like my, my bike felt super unstable. And so early on, there was like this rash of product that was um, very aerodynamic in terms of drag reduction and performance in from a wind tunnel sort of that static environment of the wind tunnel but out on the real out in the real world open road some of that product was um unstable to to put it simply and so that is an insecure feeling and if you're not confident in how the bike rides like you're probably not gonna ride that product because you know crashing your bike off the side of the roads this not a fast way to finish a triathlon. <laughs> and so we saw that athletes were like, even, even they would buy the super deep arrow wheel, but they'd only ride it 20% of the time, or they wouldn't train on it. And they'd save it only for that perfect condition kind of race day. And so we, we wanted to really understand what is it about the interaction between wheels and frames that equates to stability, because that same wheel set that one rider couldn't ride, another guy would be having um, a great experience on, but in a different bike frame. And so what we, as we've developed wheels over the years, we've always done our testing and development, uh, of rim shapes in bicycle frames. And we tried, we've, you know, we've tried to equate that, those wind tunnel results to also fill on the open road. And so oftentimes it's pick, pick whatever bike, you know, um, out there that we've tested with, uh, you know, take a Cervelo, for example, like we, we worked with Cervelo for years when we shared a world tour team with, uh, dimension data. So we were often testing bikes in the wind tunnel on a Cervelo. So we'd put a, we'd put a S5 in the wind tunnel, do some development, um, around that frame and then go ride it. And oftentimes you would find a rim shape that was really productive in the wind tunnel from a drag reduction, but you go ride it outside. Um, and it wouldn't feel as stable as maybe another wheel that was like maybe a watt slower in the wind tunnel, but out in the open road, that watt slower was maybe because it was slightly wider or had more of a rounded profile to the spoke fish or something. And so that extra stability and how it functioned within that bike frame, uh, is super important. And so we would, in terms of our weighting of the performance metrics of the product we would say we'll we'll sacrifice a watt of drag reduction Mm. for x percentage increase in stability it's a subjective rating but we wanted to know that like or you know we want to feel on the open road that that bike feels not just fast but confidence inspiring in terms of its handling and so long way to get to the point of your question or the answer no no it's good i enjoyed the context But, uh, (laughs) but we have all this history of developing rim shapes and bike frames and through that through that experience we've have sort of ingrained in our design process and our thinking what tube shapes uh are compatible with our rim shapes and i go back i don't know what 
our competitors out there do in terms of like if they consider that when they go to the development um if you know if they i assume it's often as i assume it's a lot the same they were designing all these frames and they had to pick a wheel set and i think that's maybe the difference is if you're designing a frame you might just pick a wheel set that's sort of good and then design around that one wheel set and we've designed wheel sets to work with in a lot of frames and we've just sort of created a rolodex of sort of tube shapes and features that uh, seem to complement the the shapes of the rim. And at the end of the day, our goal is to uh, ensure that the, I, I feel like system approaches had like a little bit of a bad rap over the years, but it, as we refine, as, as cycling technology is refined, specifically aerodynamic technology, you have to look at the whole thing as a system um, if you're trying to achieve peak performance, because you can't do these things in isolation. And that means you can't develop a wheel really outside of a bike frame in terms of achieving optimal error performance. And you really need to look at the tire. Uh, it's, it's, it all affects things down downstream, right? So, you know, from the tire, airflow off the tire onto the rim shape, over the fork legs, back onto the rim, you know, over the down tube, over the legs. And then how does that pick it all up on the end, on the tail end of the bicycle? And so, really trying to take that holistic approach to performance um, and not just from like a myopic single lane aerodynamic drag only sort of focus, but from the whole thing, like, yes, we want it to be as efficient through the air as possible, but weight still matters and uh, comfort still matters. And um, more than anything, when I say comfort, we're talking about like the stability um are you able to stay in your uh, in triathlon are you able to stay in your aero position or whatever it be like we really want you to be able to uh, be efficient on the bike in every way and so um that's the long answer no, to, that's a, fantastic. to the question <laughs> if i'm honest i you know i at the, on the face of it i didn't really consider that stability and handling was going to be the sort of um driving principle behind designing the frame around the wheels if that's kind of to summarize and it, it kind of looks like you've paid quite a lot of attention to handling as a whole um one thing i thought was quite notable is that you offer a wide range of fork rakes to suit different sizes of frames now um as part of that you said that it keeps the handling consistent or ra rather the ride quality of the frame consistent across all sizes when you say sort of consistent, what, what does that actually mean in the real world? Sure. So with the Melee, um, we're just, it's a race bike. We intend this bike to be competitive with other race bike, you know, all the sort of the world tour race bikes that are out there um, capable of, yeah, the, all those applications that come with road racing today. And when we talk about fork rakes, um, there's a couple reasons for it, but it's when we okay when we when we say we're trying to make the handling all the same we're talking primarily sort of looking at the trail numbers sure. and you know making sure that the rider on the smallest bike and the rider on the largest size bike and the you know everybody in the bell curve in the middle from your you know your 50s to your 58s is where the bulk of the the customers are at um and and we're offering seven sizes in this frame so we started a 47 we ended a 60 so we want to make sure that the riders on the 47 and the rider on the 60 still get the dynamic um handling and that the customers in the bulk of the bell curve get because often what happens with frame manufacturers is they'll design you know, they'll put a they'll have three fork rakes, probably, you know, they'll, they'll optimize a fork rake and a trail number for the 50 and the 52, another one for the 54 and the 56, or, you know, some combination therein, And then another one, maybe for the 58 and the 60 or 
something like that. And so in some cases you end up with uh, a 47 that maybe has um, a longer trail number um, and a, you know, a 60 that does as well. And are differing trail numbers that are sort of outside the the range that you had for the bulk of the bell curve in the middle. And what that results is just two bikes that don't necessarily follow the handling um, that the, the bulk of the other bikes do. And so the reason we have the five fork rakes that we're offering um, versus say three is in the custom road project. So the custom road and the melee do share a fork. Mm-hmm. Um, and that fork uh, because of the broad range of customization we're doing for customers with, you know, head tube length adjustments and top tube length adjustments and whatnot is we did find kind of early, you know, early on in the custom road project that on the edges of the spectrum in order to keep the trail numbers um, where we want them to be. And, and, and again, the front center, being able to control the front center a little bit better as well. Uh that's the other part is like you end up with a 47 that has a really long front center, for example, longer than what you'd see with, you know, a 40, a 54 or 56 with the proper rake fork on it. So we, we saw early on that we were running into some limitations as it related to fork rake with the custom road. And so we opened tooling for the 39 and the 55 rake forks that mm-hmm. are sort of on the ends of the spectrum. And so we have those fork rakes, we have the tooling and it just made sense to use those for the melee as well but again it's the idea is that we're not we want to make sure that yeah the smallest of riders and largest of riders get really a purpose-built race bike with without any compromise to the front center number and the handling on the kind of uh, subject of your big and smalls of this world at the kind of small end of the spectrum we've seen some brands particularly on their very small bikes they offer 650B wheels to sort of keep, or 650C, yeah. uh, to keep the consist, uh, riding, uh, ride quality consistent. Um, is that a path you would ever sort of pursue as a brand? I ask as a yeah. wheel brand as well. Um, we we had 650C for a while. Um, I think the short answer of it is it's, it's, it's we, we can now make a race bike for the smallest rider out there with 700C wheels. And believe that's where we're going to stay for the foreseeable future um, and disc brakes have made a lot of things possible that really weren't before and especially in terms of like being able to tuck the tire you know more in the frame things you can do with the chain stays um, keeping them nice and short ish compared to you know what we were doing with rim brakes and tire you know it's a, so it's yeah i mean there's a lot of factors that have gone into it but i believe uh, we've probably seen the end of 650c Whoa. <laughs> Bold claim, I like it. <laughs> At least from envy, I, yeah. I know from our standpoint, we are, and and you know, we, early on we had a we did do a 650c wheel, and you know, a lot of our athletes and the late, I mean, it's been primarily um, the smaller ladies, especially in the triathlon, where that 650c wheel was really important, and uh, most of those athletes have been able to transition onto a 700c bike that fits them quite well, and um, they can get the benefit of that larger wheel, I guess. <laughs> If now, we can say there is one. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, as uh, you know, good as my questioning is, I don't expect you to reveal too much. But, you know, in terms of future projects, friend, you've already said yourself that you intend to develop further bikes. I mean, mm-hmm. is it likely to stay within the road space or do you see yourself sort of moving outside of that? I mean, all I would say is that we as a brand have serviced all disciplines of cycling um, from the earliest days. And so uh, 
I think if you just look at our wheel product line, you'd be able to come yeah. to a pretty good conclusion <laughs> of where we might go with frames. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing what's next. And um, yeah, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Very enlightening. If you want to see more on the new Envy Melee road bike, we do have the full story on bikecreator.com. We've got more details there where we go into the real nitty gritty of the bike. But Jake, thank you very much. That was a very, very good one. Some really interesting answers. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Bike Rider Podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. If you do have any questions, send those through to podcast at bikerider.com. We do check out the inbox. We're always here, keen to hear your questions and we'll respond as best as we can. Thanks again, Jake. Give us a five-star rating if you think we deserve it and chat to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Bike Rider Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 